This is Near Death TV. I'm your host, Laura Ketchledge. I'm also an author. In 1979, I became a near-death experiencer. I chose to explain the truth I learned about the afterlife, reincarnation, and near-death experience through my fictional book series, The Near-Death Saga. While dead, I was shown all human beings are shrouded in ignorance by design in order to learn valuable lessons in each incarnation. When you die, the artificial facade falls away and we awaken from the dream into reality. For more information, you can find us at neardeathtv.com. Please join us as we explore the after effects of near-death experience. Hello, and welcome to Near Death TV. I'm your host, Laura Kethledge. I'm also a near-death experiencer and author of the Near Death Saga fictional book series. Today we have a very interesting guest, and I'm proud to announce that Jeffrey Olson is on the show. He's the author of Knowing. He is a international speaker and a near-death experiencer. Hello, Jeffrey. How are you today? Hello, Laura. It's so good to be with you. I'm doing well. Good. Good. Um, can you tell our listeners what happened the day you died? Oh, wow. Well, it was a horrific automobile accident, and uh, it was a single car rollover. Um, I blacked out for most of the accident, but when I came to, the first thing I heard was my young seven-year-old boy crying in the back seat. The whole family was in the car. And my first thought was, I've got to get to my boy. I've got to get to my son. It was that cry that a father recognizes as, he's okay, but I've got to get to him. That's when I realized I couldn't move. I was pinned either to the seat or the floorboard. I, I couldn't tell. I was struggling to breathe. There was intense pain. What had actually happened, and I was unaware of my injuries at the time, but what had happened is both of my legs had been crushed. Uh, the left leg was eventually amputated above the knee. My back had been broken. My rib cage had been damaged. My lungs were collapsing. My right arm had practically been torn off. There was no muscles holding it on through the rotator cuff, and there was big lacerations underneath my arm. And then the seat belt had cut through me and ripped open and ruptured all my insides. Uh, actually like tearing me clear through the hips and, and my femoral artery was actually exposed, but by some miracle uh, was not damaged. Otherwise I would have bled out at the scene. Mm -hmm. But all I, all I, I wasn't aware of that. I knew I had to get to my son because I heard him crying, but that was the brutal moment I realized no one else was crying, that my, my wife and my youngest son uh, were killed instantly at the scene. And I was aware of that. Oh my and, gosh. Um, yeah. And that, you know, gosh, the panic, the absolute darkness. And I, and I, I, I don't go into detail to be morbid and I do want mm -hmm. you and listeners to understand it's been 22 years. I couldn't even talk about this for a decade. I would just cry. Of course. Of course. But, uh, but in the, in the wreckage as I'm realizing, gosh, I've got to get to my seven-year-old son. That's when I realized that my 14 month old toddler son his car seat had broken apart in the crash and he had been ejected from the car. And it, it was that deep, oh my gosh, where's my little boy? Um, 
And, and it's like I knew he's he's gone. And that's when I also realized Tamara, my wife, she had laid her seat back and had been sleeping. She had her seatbelt and everything on, but because she had, you know, reclined her seat, the seatbelt had not restrained her properly. And she had suffered some uh, some severe head trauma, which took her life. Both of them, I know, didn't suffer. They were killed instantly. But that's the darkest, deepest hell a man could ever be in. You know, I'm in the car. I can't get to my screaming child. Half the family's gone. And I was driving. You know, now, I I don't drink. I was sober. I was going to speed limit. But I had lost control of the car and, to my best recollection, may have just dozed off for a second, you know, and, and swerved to the right and overcorrected and lost control. And, and, and the car began to roll, not off the road, but down the road with the cruise control set at 75. It was a horrific accident. I'm so sorry. Now I, oh yeah, it, it it's you know it was there aren't words for for that yeah. darkness that that guilt that regret like can't I take back those three seconds what happened you know, um, and and I don't share that to be morbid or or graphic I I want to set the scene because people need to know. Yeah, I mean, for all intents and purposes, the accident killed me too. I mean, as I'm in that deepest, darkest hell, if you will, um, it's it's as if light came. I felt light come to me, almost like it was tangible, almost like a blanket that wrapped around me, and there was this comforting calm in in that in that chaotic, you know experience and it felt like I was rising above the scene of the accident mm-hmm. and my my thought was gosh am I okay you know am I am I okay what's happening I can breathe gosh my the pain is gone I, am I okay you know and that was it was it was a little bit confusing but it was so absolutely calming is that is yeah that what happened Jeffrey you were starting to leave your body after experiencing this horrible anguish there was just you rose out of your body, and then what happened? Yeah, I mean, well, that, that and that's exactly what was happening at the time. I was like, "What's going on? How come I'm okay?" You know, and, and I, 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 I bring that up. You know, I mean, people talk about a violent death, and I suppose you could classify mine as one that was quite violent. But, but the dying part was easy. As, as, as my spirit left, it was complete peace. I was free of the pain. Even the trauma, uh, you know, and the and the the grief. I mean, everything seemed to just calm down. And then the interesting thing is, as I began to become aware of, like, gosh, I'm I'm really okay in this loving, calm light. Tamara, my wife, who I knew was deceased at the scene, she was there with me. She was next to me in the light, and 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 she was communicating verbally. She was talking to me, and she was emphatic. She's like, Jeff, Jeff you've got to go back. You've got to go back. And, um, you know, it, it's not your time. You've got to go back. Now, it was very interesting because I learned a lot about choice. Uh, I mean, I've come to the terms in my life that probably free will and choice is the only cosmic law because there I was looking into the eyes of the woman I loved more than life. But I knew I had a little boy in the backseat of that car that would be orphaned if I didn't go back. And I, I made the choice to come back. Because your connection to your son and your obligation was so strong, I'm gathering. Yeah, yeah. I mean, gosh, we, we, we were a very close, happy family. And, 
here, you know, this little son was only seven and uh, we were very close. Like he was my hero and I was his hero and we were buddies and, and had a great relationship. And I made the choice to come back. And it was interesting when I say made the choice, I didn't have to think about it when I, in other words, I didn't have to figure out how am I going to go back? It was the pure intention. Once I made that choice, I'm going back. Once I knew I'm going back, it all just seemed to happen simultaneously. Now, Mm -hmm. the interesting thing is I did say the most profound goodbye I'll ever say. I mean, I I don't know if you can even imagine that, but there I am looking at my wife, who I was madly in love with. What does she look like? Did she look younger? Did she look... Oh, she, well, she was only 30, she was only 31 years old at the time of the accident and she was gorgeous anyway, but I'll tell you that the reason I shared what I did up front, knowing that her life had been taken and there was head trauma and it was not a pleasant thing at the scene of the accident in this light, she was absolutely radiant. She was gorgeous. She was more beautiful and more glorious than, than I had ever seen her. And, you know, and that was interesting, too. And, and I, I got the deep sense, she's okay. You know, she's really okay. But boy, I've got to go back. I've got to go back. And that was, uh, that was interesting. One, one interesting point, too, is she was emotional. She was tearful and crying. And, and I was, I seemed to be comforting her. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. You know, I'm going to go back. I love you. I, I mean, it, 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 it was, it was a very profound goodbye. Um, that I didn't even realize the implications of, you know, until, until I did make that choice to come back. And that was interesting because it was like nothing but a quick swoosh, you know, like walking from one room to the next almost. And suddenly I found myself wandering around a very busy um, hospital. You didn't and, remember and what them I, taking you out of the car or anything like that? No. No, didn't remember any of that. I had no idea. Now, what had happened is people arrived on the scene. Gosh, one of the people that stopped happened to be a doctor and was able to render immediate aid and see to Spencer. They had to extricate me from the car. I was life flighted to a level one trauma center. I didn't know any of that. All I knew is I'd crashed the car. Half the family was gone. I had said the most profound goodbye I'd ever say. And as I made the choice to come back, I was wandering through that busy level one trauma center. Mm-hmm. seeing all the doctors and the nurses and the patients and the families of the patients. And, and when I say seeing them, it was completely different. I was seeing every single person, every soul in this glorious, unconditional love. And, and it didn't matter who they were or what they had done or what they hadn't done. Um, everyone from the heroin addict to the the saintly grandmother was absolutely glorious. And, and I had this, this, unbelievable connection this oneness i knew i knew their lives i knew their hearts i knew their love their hate their joy their peace their motivations their challenges i that one one nurse passed me and and they seemed to be unaware of me there i mean obviously i was wandering in spirit but um i would feel them uh you know i, I recall a particular nurse that brushed by and in, in in that instant i knew I knew her life. I, I felt as if it had happened to me, her, her abuse as a child, her verbal, physical, and even sexual abuse. And, and I felt the weight of that. And yet in the same instant as I felt that, I saw her in this magnificence thinking, oh my gosh, look what this has created in her. She's this compassionate, caring, loving nurse, literally, you know, 
healing and serving people in the hospital. And it was in a, it was in a moment, in a moment, I knew everything about everyone. And, and I call it the oneness. I was experiencing the oneness and the glory of, of, of what actually is in our connection to each other. And, and words are inadequate to explain it, but it was absolutely profound and changed me forever. Can Until I, I came upon, I yes, know, please do. I think, I think Jeff, this would be really a good uh, time to ask. What, did you feel as you were wandering around this hospital, were you a point of consciousness, or did you were you in your astral body, or did you have any awareness of a body? You know, I didn't have any awareness of a body, but it felt like me. I, it felt like I was me with my, you know, my same identity, with, but with a much different uh, perspective, with a much higher perspective. Yes. Yes. And so I did feel as an individual, and yet I did feel connected to everyone around me mm-hmm. I- until I came up to a body or a man laying on the gurney there that I didn't feel anything from, which I thought was odd given my connection I was feeling. And that's when I stepped closer and looked and realized, oh my goodness, that's, that's me. Or that's my body. That's not me. You know, I'm I'm having this connected experience, but that's the that's the flesh suit or the 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 body I had been wearing in this mortality. Oh my gosh! Well, after you don't leave us hanging. What what was the next event? Well, I knew I had to get in the body. I knew okay, I got to get back in there. And there was there was this intense um, sadness. Uh, my, my body was a wreck. I mean, and and I had. There was this realization that I had always taken my body for granted. I mean, I had been a Division One athlete. I'd always been healthy. You know, I mean, I, I had never thought that I don't have to tell my eyes how to see or uh, remind my lungs to breathe. That there was this miracle of a body that had intelligence in every cell, and yet I was outside of it. And and it was so light to be outside, but knowing I had to get back in and knowing I had always taken it for granted and knowing that moving forward, it would never be the same. You know, I mean, I, uh, and again, it was the intention. I've got to get back in. I've got to go in. And so with that thought, we we have no idea how powerful our thoughts are. You know, I mean, with that thought, I'm going back in. Boom. Then I was back in the body, but boy, I was back to the grief, the guilt, the regret, the pain, the trauma, the physical trauma, all of it. And it was so, so heavy. It felt like being wrapped in a lead cocoon. And it was, it was horrific. I just, you know, I, I don't think any of the listeners or I could ever, you know, the, the gravity of this, the, this tragedy is just so heartbreaking. But on the other end, you know, Jeffrey, I hear joy when you're talking about your late wife. You know, I think that is such a beautiful moment that you got to share with her, that you got to connect with her. And, you know, you truly got to say goodbye and know that she still exists. That is a beautiful thing. That is yeah, yeah, and uh, that door has never shut. I mean, and 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 that's the thing. I mean, I, I'm so grateful I got to say that goodbye, and I I hesitated to share that for years, because I thought, how many people lose dear loved ones and they don't get to say goodbye? But what I've realized is you can say goodbye any time. They're they're not lost. They're not gone. And when I say that door has somehow been propped open, she's been a guardian angel to me ever since. I mean, you know, little whispers and inspirations and dreams and sometimes what visitations, um, 
where she actually comes around and and uh, and lets me know things. Um, it's 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 been profound, and uh, yeah, just because someone goes doesn't mean that love dies, and it certainly doesn't mean that our connections are cut off. I mean, yeah. certainly we miss you know we miss the arms that held us and the lips that kissed us, but we you know they're they're never they're never really gone. Now that didn't settle my grief all that much. I mean, you know, you you should know that I grieved as miserably as anyone for a long time. Um, you know, it, it's not like, okay, that made it okay, but, but yeah, it, it gave some different insights and I, I felt her presence quite near and, um, it, it, it was interesting. Can you share with us? I mean, I know it was bad because we've talked before the show. Can you share with us how grueling and how long your recovery was from this terrible accident? Oh, Yeah. I mean, and, and the hospital was awful. When I talked about being in the body, I was ventilated. They had a ventilator, you know, a, a big tube down my throat doing the breathing for my lungs. My legs were immobile, obviously, because they were both crushed and shattered. My right arm was immobile. They eventually tied down my left arm because I kept grabbing at all the medical equipment. It was so uncomfortable, you know, to have the ventilator in and the feeding tube and all this stuff that was going on. Um, I was in ICU for several weeks. I, my, I was in the hospital for almost six months. Um, I had 18 surgeries in all, putting me back together, including skin grafts, you know, to repair my uh, abdomen. And, and um, I, I, I kept throwing pulmonary emboli, the, the blood clots that lodge in your lungs. And I would go from ICU to surgical recovery back to ICU. And then the infections, you know, with the Mm -hmm. The seatbelt rupturing all my insides were intense. They had to leave the abdominal wounds open for a very long time, and they would pack them, you know, with, with gauze. They would pack them, and then they would strip the gauze out. It's a process of healing and, and, and getting the infection out of there, but, boy, that was extremely painful. And um, anyway, it was it was a long haul. It was, it was a rough time, and then even out of the hospital, I had to have home health for a while. I was in a wheelchair for some time. Uh, finally was fitted for a pro with a prosthetic limb, learned to walk again, and, and, and got back to work. But then, you know, this whole time, my little seven-year-old son, he, he, he went to stay with my uh, – he basically walked away from the accident physically. He, he was banged up a little bit. But he, uh, he went to stay with my younger brother and his wife, and they took him in just like he was one of their own. Well, and – yeah, I can't I can't emphasize the love of my family. I mean my my mother, my father who had divorced but they were still very attentive to me and my my brothers practically lost their jobs, you know, to come sit in the hospital with me and make sure that I was going to make it. Um mm -hmm. incredible. You had that wonderful family support. So when your 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 son, you know, was taken away from the accident, he went to live with family. Thank goodness yes. for that. That had to be yeah. such a godsend. Yeah, it, it was. And I, I've wondered, what do people do who go through these hard things alone or without that kind of support? I, I was very, very lucky, blessed, in fact, to have, you know, people around me that loved me that much. And the hospital was it, it was a long haul. I mean, it was really it was it was really rough. And like I say, it, there were times I felt like I left my body even in the hospital. It's like I had one foot in this realm and one foot in the next. Uh, Tamara would come in dreams and visitations, and and that was incredible. Um, 
Did you, you ever, know, wonder, ever wonder this? I don't mean to, I just want to interject. Did you ever wonder that, you know, when you have a near-death experience, when you've left your physical body, do we ever really come back 100%? Do we always have that foot really almost in one foot in the other side, do you think? Yeah, I think, I think many do. I mean, for me, it was interesting, and, and part of it, it was so real to me. I, I should interject, there's one interesting part of my story, which, gosh, Dr. Raymond Moody has, has talked about. When I was life-flighted to the trauma center, there was a, the attending physician in the trauma center, and one of the nurses actually witnessed, and by some stroke of luck or, or miracle, they shared this with me at one point, um, they witnessed my wife in the ER room, my wife who had passed. They saw her spirit in the trauma room as they were working on me. Oh, my gosh. Oh my and God. She, was she was communicating with them, particularly the doctor who has now come forward. He's, he's willing to speak about this, Dr. Jeff O'Driscoll. He's a 25-year veteran in a level one trauma center, and he's had other experiences besides mine, but he said there was Tamara as they were working on me, and he wasn't actually working on me. He was kind of attending. There was five other surgeons working on me, but as he came into the ER room, he said there she was standing above my body, and she was aware that he could see her, and she communicated to him that simply it was her gratitude. I'm grateful you're going to save his life. He's got to live for our little son, you know, and, and yeah. I think the miracle is they actually came after I'd gotten out of ICU and I was in surgical recovery. He and the nurse came and shared with me what they had experienced and they didn't know me from Adam. Yeah. Um, but they had brave. no idea. <laughs> it was very brave. It was incredibly brave. And, and they had no idea that I had had an experience. But the interesting thing is, when they came forward, um, I thought, gosh, I'm not crazy. And, and I felt comfortable enough to share with this doctor some of the things I had experienced, um, not at that time. It took, it was weeks after. At the time, I just listened to him and cried. I, you know, I, I was a mess. But I was able to share with him some of the things that I had experienced and how the door had never really shut, as you brought up, how I'm continuing to have these visitations. Am I crazy? You know, I thought he's a doctor. He's, he's not family. He's not even a friend yet. He's become a dear friend. But I thought I can talk to him. And if I'm nuts, he'll put me in the psych ward and get me the treatment I deserve. But it was so interesting to talk to him about what I was experiencing and have him say, yes, I'm aware of that. Yes, I've seen things in the ER. Yes, you're not crazy, <laughs> you know, keep those things, hold them dear. And, and, and I did. And we, we've actually become good friends because he continued to be a safe place for me to talk about things like that. And you needed that because the isolation, I've talked in previous shows, the isolation once you've had a near-death experience is profound. And that's one of the reasons I'm doing the show. When I had my near-death experience, it was 1979. There wasn't the yeah. internet. I didn't know about Dr. Moody. I was alone and it caused me a great deal of anguish as I struggled as a kid to come to terms with the fact that I died and uh, came back and had a near-death experience. So you've had this terrible accident. You're recovering. You know there's a connection with your late wife. You've had it validated with a doctor and a nurse. What were your after effects from your near-death experience? I'm talking about psychic, uh, in, in psychic experiences or abilities, or um, what were your after effects? 
Well, you know, I, I think we're all psychic to a certain degree, but I'll tell you, my, my after effect was love. This, this whole newborn compassion for humankind and, and judgments and comparisons just went out the window. Suddenly I saw everyone walking their path, which was their perfect path for them, and it didn't have to look like mine. And, and there was this uh, increased compassion, love, and, and a more unconditional love. You know, I, I had a very interesting thing happen at the end of my hospital stay, and it may have been the most profound experience, because over all, over all those months as I had this connection to my, my, my wife who had passed, I still had so much torment about my little boy, Griffin, who was killed in the accident, and, um, and it, it was very difficult. And in fact, this was at the end of my hospital stay. And it might, be, it might be relevant to mention my most profound experiences were at the scene of the accident, you know, before any morphine or narcotics had been administered. I was, I was on morphine pretty heavy those first, you know, weeks in the hospital. But then at the end of my hospital stay, when I was taking nothing but a, a little Tylenol, I was just about ready to go home. I had a very profound experience, and it happened one night. In fact, they had finally stabilized my abdominal injuries, so I was able to lay on my side. And I was out of ICU. I was out of surgical recovery. I was actually in the, real, uh, the rehabilitation wing of the hospital. And it's funny because my younger brother was there. Like I say, they, they, gosh, they came every day, I think. And I had laid on my back so long that I had rubbed all the hair off the back of my head. And so he was teasing me about going bald on the back of my head. It's grown back since. But anyway, so there was this, you know, this lovely connection with my brothers. Um, I was rolling over on my side and it felt so good to finally lay on my side. That's how I naturally slept. And I had laid on my back for months. And I remember thinking, gosh, it feels so good to go to sleep. And it was, I thought, I haven't slept for months. This is the first time I've really fallen to sleep, you know? And so I, I did that. And, and what happened is that light came again. I felt that beautiful light return and, and comfort me. And, and it, again, it felt as if I was raising above the hospital bed and above the injuries and the trauma and the grief and the regret and the guilt and all of it. But this time, the light seemed to dispense. It seemed to disappear like fog off a lake. And I was in the most beautiful, gorgeous place. And, um, you know, people say heaven or they say the other side. The only word I can put on this is I was home. I was home. I, I was so welcomed. I was so, it just, and I was alone. There was no one there, but I felt so joyful. In fact, I began to run. And, and, you know, we talk about the astral body or, or I mean, I, I, I obviously was not in the body, but everything felt so physical. I could feel the warm ground under my feet. I could feel energy as if it was charging up through my calves and thighs. And I was joyfully running in this place that felt so much like home. And, uh, and then I got this inkling or this knowing that I wasn't there to stay. And at that same time, there was this corridor to my left, and I knew I was to go down the corridor, you know. And I began to go down the corridor, and at the end of the corridor was a crib. And Griffin, my little toddler, had still been sleeping in a crib at the time of the accident. Anyway, I raced down the corridor to the crib, and there was my little boy. There he was oh. sleeping as peacefully and as beautifully as I'd ever seen. And, and I, 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 I swept him up in my arms and I began to weep. And, and, and I, I mean, the, the, 
And I can't stress how physical it felt. Uh, have you ever picked up a sleeping child? Yes. You know, the, the, the weight and the heat of them. And, and here I, I swept up my little boy and I could feel his warm body solid against mine. And I could, I could feel his breath on my neck. And I, I, I leaned over and I smelled his hair and I thought, it's him. This is, I mean, it was, it was the most profound thing. And I, sit, you know, I just sat there weeping, holding my little boy, thinking he, he, he's okay too. I get to say goodbye to him. And I had just been haunted with him being ejected from the car and what had happened. And he was perfect. Once again, glorious. No injuries, no nothing. I held him. And as I held my little boy thinking about how perfect and how wonderful and how glorious he was, I felt this presence come up behind me. Uh-huh. And uh, gosh, it was an overwhelming presence. It was it was cosmic and wise. And I had grown up in a Christian home and I began to think, oh no, that's God. That's God, you know, and, and guilt began to rise up. I began to feel like, oh, my, my little boy's here because I crashed the car. He died because I messed up and lost control. And and I was having this thought of, oh, I, I hope somehow in, in, in God's heaven I can be forgiven, you know. And as I held my little son, and this almost felt physical too, I felt these divine arms come and wrap around and hold us. And then there was this huge, immense download. And, and the message right off the bat, as I was saying, I hope I can be forgiven, was there's nothing to forgive. Everything in your life is an absolute divine order. And, and there was this profound download of you created it. You created your life. Everything in it is your creation. Uh, even Tamara and Griffin leaving was all an agreement, a contract that you made as souls so that you would have the experience you came into mortality to have. And the entire universe supports you and loves you enough to live out your creation. And I, it was very confusing because I'm like, oh, no, no, religion has taught me that God's in charge and, and he created my life and life is a test and I'm probably failing. And in these arms, I had the profound knowing that life is an absolute gift. And that I'm the divine creator of it and that I get to choose once again how I experience it. And yes, there's going to be pain and challenge and struggle and grief, but there's also going to be joy and glory and peace and laughter and, and that the whole package is, is worth it. It's all a gift. It was, it was a profound moment as I held my little boy and I was held by the divine which, you know, I, I, I can't define that. God, a father, or was it me, my higher self? I don't know, but it was this beautiful, glorious, higher perspective. I was seeing things as if I was God, as if it was through different eyes than, than my mortal eyes in this realm. And it was, it was absolutely beautiful. Oh, and, uh, oh I, I can't even, there aren't, there is not a word, Jeffrey, in the, in the, in the English language that I can uh, other than exquisite experience that I could come up with. I'm, that is just unbelievable. And it, it just to see him again, to hold him again, that yeah. must have been, oh. It, it was incredible. And I was given a choice in that moment too. It, it, there's so much about choice in my experience. I, I was told you can be mad at God or the universe or whatever you want to call it, you know, because this crash happened. And you can beat yourself up the rest of your life because you were driving the car, though you're welcome to do all of that. But there was a new choice. 
and I was given the choice, you can let your son go. You can give him back and, and therefore exercise your will. You can exercise your free will. And, I, you know, given my upbringing, I was like, but God, I thought it was your will be done. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm speaking and thinking in these terms. And, and what I was told is my will is your will. What is it you want? You know, you created and in all that beauty, peace and love, I was able to kiss my little boy and um, and give him back, you know, and then oh, I, I then I, to know he's in good yeah. hands. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So and then I woke up in the hospital bed. <laughs> you know, I was back. I was back in this room. Would you think you were if you had wanted to stay there? Was that an option or do you think this was more of an out of body experience versus a second near death where there's a choice? I don't know. It felt very similar. Um, and, and I think it was, I mean, the universe is so kind. I mean, I think this may have been created for me, even if it was by me that I, I mean, somehow in all the cosmic realms, something just knew I needed to hold my little boy. You got what and, you Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I actually, I've, I've had dreams since of my little son and he doesn't show up as a toddler. Now he shows up as this magnificent, you know, young guardian grown angel that that you know that that is much different than the the little toddler child but but yeah it was it was a very profound experience that that did provide healing and and there's many times i woke up and thought why did i let go why did i give him back why didn't i just stay there but then again that wasn't the deal it's almost like i had agreements i had i had you know it, it's funny it's like there's free will and choice and everything but it's like my higher knowing knew that I was to come back. I was to raise my, my oldest son, Spencer, and I was to create a life here and, and literally be in some weird, small way, a manifestation of that divine, unconditional love that I experienced. Well, afterwards, have you, can you astral project? Um, yeah, I, I call it soul connecting or, traveling there's often times that you know you know yeah and can't can i do that well yeah i think we all do it it's call it meditation call it in our mind's eye i mean i've i've often found that if i can go to a place that's quiet and if i can just sit and recall a time in my life here where time stood still and it can be a simple thing i i i have a memory of sitting on the porch uh, way back before the accident, when my son Spencer was only about three, Griffin had not even been born yet, and we were sitting on the back porch watching the sprinklers water the grass that I had just cut. You know, there was the smell of the fresh grass and the of the sprinklers, and and you know, Tamara was in the house and she was cooking dinner, and the smells were coming out of the kitchen, and I had this profound awareness then that wow, this is as good as it gets. You know, this is heaven. There's there's nowhere to go. And so if I can get to a quiet place and, and revisit in my mind's eye those places and then just be open, it's amazing what will happen. I, I've, you know, I've had visitations not only from my immediate family and Tamara and Griffin, but gosh, I might have a grandfather show up that I hadn't thought about for three years. And when I say show up, I don't see I don't see them with my physical eyes, but I feel their presence. I know they're there. And then there's always a message. There's always a communication. And it's, it's quite, it's, it's, you know, there's times I think, gosh, is that my imagination? But then I think about the message and I think about the relevance and I'm, I, I, it's like, maybe it doesn't matter. I got answers and that's beautiful, you know? 
Jeffrey, do you consider, you know, the after effects of a near-death experience becoming more psychic? Because I've always said everybody's got a pinch of psychic and nobody's got a full cup. You know, uh, I yeah. just think that we hear a lot out there about these almost magical psychic uh, abilities. And I've always thought that they just come as small, random gifts to us. Um, you may disagree. But are you a sensitive? Would you consider yourself a sensitive now? I'm sensitive, but I actually fully agree with you. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, we, all, we all have the ability. It's there. And yes, yeah, certain things have opened up in me that probably wouldn't have been open had I not had the experience. But I'll, I'll tell you, there's a simple little test that I often say to people, which is really interesting. If you get in a quiet place in the morning and, 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 and it, it, it must be outward facing. This, this is what I've found. I mean, I, I used to pray. Now I just listen. I shut up and listen. You know, I used to pray and ask, oh, bless me with this. Bless me with that. Bless my family with this. Bless, you know. Now I found if I can get to a quiet place and literally ask the question, and, and, and again, if it's outward facing, if I simply ask, what can I do for someone else today? Almost inevitably, and, and this is a simple test you can do at home, you'll, you'll picture someone. You'll have an, an, an inkling or an inspiration, even if it's simply, gosh, I think I'll call mom today. I mean, it, you know, when we make it outward focus and we ask the universe, we ask God, whatever you want to call it, you know, how can I show up today for someone else? Almost always you'll have a, a quick little inspiration or a flash or a thought, call it psychic ability to know where to be and with who and what to say and and then acting upon those things doing those things seems to open up the door in such a way where yeah we can all be psychic we can all be intuitive on how to react how to touch each other's lives and how to be there for for one another even if it's smiling to a stranger on the street it's doing something positive for others yeah yeah and you know what I have, I have experienced, when we do something like we consider small here, help an animal or do, you know, just do something kind for others small, it has so much bigger value on, quote, the other side in the non-physical world, bigger than we can comprehend. Would you agree? Oh, I absolutely agree. The, the, the little things are the big things. You know, I, I have people say to me, well, gosh, you must have been spared for some great cause, you know, and, and I, I laugh and say, yep, to see one more sunset, you know, or to play catch with my son. And I, I've, I've since the accident, gosh, I mean, you know, 22 years have passed. I, I, I fell in love again. I, I remarried. We adopted two boys and I don't call them my adopted boys. They're just sons that have found their way home. But but those are the things. I mean, those are the big things. It's like, you know, I, I might be laying in bed with my one leg, you know, and, and I'll, I'll feel my wife's foot brush up against my foot and I'll think, you know what? That's a miracle. That's beautiful. That, that, that might be the most divine thing that I experienced today. And, and, and like I said, that smile to a stranger, that hug, that kind, random act of, of, of thoughtful something that you do for someone else. Um, those are the big things. Those are yes. the big things. It, yeah. it, 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 you know, and there are no small miracles. It's all a miracle. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us uh, about your book uh, titled Knowing? 
Yeah, knowing, gosh, knowing, um, <laughs> I mean, some people have asked, how long did it take to write it? And I, I say, well, 50 years, I suppose. It's yeah. uh, Knowing is the near-death experience, but it outlines everything before, during, and after, right up to the marriage of my oldest son, Spencer. He was married just a couple of years ago, and that's kind of the pinnacle of the book is his journey. I mean, he had an incredible journey where he didn't have a near-death experience. He didn't have a dream or a vision. He was a little boy, and he had nothing. You know, I mean, it's interesting. He came to me in his young adulthood, and and he said, Dad, I, I never had anything. You speak of these dreams and visitations, and I beg God every day just to fill my mom, you know, and uh, I got nothing. So, you know, I mean, it's 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 interesting. To, it, it's almost a parallel um experience he lost everything i did and and yet the beautiful way he handled that in comparison to mine but knowing it, it, it's it's a beautiful book and i've been very open in that book and it can be found on amazon it's easy to get it comes digitally in an ebook or a hard you know back cover if you want a library edition or a paperback whatever you prefer to read but uh but knowing is is the whole story including falling in love again and 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 remarrying it's it's really about the trip to the other side but also you know finding and choosing joy after great tragedies in our life and i've i've just been very open in sharing that well i'm so glad you wrote this book i'm so happy to have you on the show do you have a website that people can uh look up yeah, I mean, if, if you go to Envoy Publishing, E-N-V-O-Y Publishing.com, that's a great website for books and videos and biographies on me. Envoy is, pub, is uh, it, it's, it's means uh, messenger in French, <laughs> so we, we chose that. I'm also all over social media. You can find me at Jeffrey, and Jeffrey is J-E-F-F-E-R-Y. C, that's my middle initial, and then Olson, O-L-S-E-N. I'm on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and all the social platforms as well. Well, Jeffrey, what do you have? You've written Knowing. You've pulled your life together on so many levels and launched your son into adulthood. Uh, what is your next plan? Um, are you going to write another book? Are you going to continue uh, speaking about near-death experience, what do you have up uh, in the next? Uh... You know, I, I, I tend to take one day at a time, but yeah, things are really uh, moving forward. I work full-time. I have a job. You know, I'm, I'm a regular guy. I put on my pants and go to work, but I, I, I want to I make a big difference in the world. I'm going to be in London, England on uh, March 16th, coming up this next month. I'll be in Ireland on the 21st and 22nd. I'll be in South Carolina speaking to a large convention uh, called Helping Parents Heal, which is um, for parents who are grieving and have had children pass. I, I, I do a lot of speaking, a lot of traveling. Uh, writing is a challenge for me, but I, I do see other books. I would love to do a three-part series, Knowing, Being, and Seeing, <laughs> all one-word titles, but knowing, knowing is the book you can get now. Um, but yeah, I, I'm all about living in the now. You know, I'm going to I'm gonna get up in the morning and say, wow, what a beautiful gift I have today. What can I do with the day I've been given? And then we'll, we'll take on tomorrow when it comes because I've found that now is the only time that we really have. Exactly. Well, we, uh, you know, we both are dyslexic. 
<laughs> yes, that, that's why writing can be a challenge for me. <laughs> Thank goodness for good editors, right? <laughs> I never thought of myself as ever being an author, even though I worked in television and, you know, I was uh, lived in New York City and had a profound effect on me. But I dreamt my first novel and was able to finally get out on paper some of the paranormal experience, my after effects of my near-death experience. But I didn't have the courage you did to talk about it publicly for many years. I kept quiet for, uh, gosh, 30 years is a long time. So it came out yeah. in books. But, uh, you know, I want to say something. And I think it's really important to the listeners and for you to hear this. It takes great courage to come out and talk about a near-death experience. It really does. And it's appreciated because uh, with modern medicine, so many people are being brought back now that never would have survived a traumatic injury or a heart attack or a terrible um, life-threatening uh, event like drowning. So there's so many more people that have had a near-death experience. And with people like you that are talking about it, there's not the isolation, the wondering, gee, did I lose my mind for you know two minutes or did I really see my grandmother? This is so important to get out, to put a positive message and to say the truth. And the truth is that there is a continuation of existence after physical death. And it's happened to quite a few people. There's you know hundreds and thousands of us at this point in time in history like never before. We've got the internet now. We've got uh, podcasts and TV shows. And I think it is, you know, can be a spiritual awakening if you let it. And uh, do you agree? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, there's a... Uh... There's an organization that I, I, I'll be speaking in Salt Lake City, Utah, in the beautiful Rocky Mountains um, in September, and it's IANDS, I-A-N-D-S. It stands for the International Association for Near-Death Studies, and that's going to be a fantastic gathering for anybody who's, who's grieving, who has had an experience, who is, simply has an interest in it, but I found that is a safe place for people to come together and share. They were the first organization to invite me to uh, to share my experience publicly, and uh, it was it was with a small chapter of IONS, and it, they were the they were the first ones. It took me ten years, Laura, to talk about this. I didn't talk about it. I didn't want anybody to you know. I mean, I I was very close lipped and kept it very close to chest for a decade. But they they made me feel comfortable enough to share, and then that was the interesting thing. There was a owner of a publishing company in the audience, and he came up and said, "You're going to write a book," and I said, "No, I'm not." You know, but uh, but anyway, if it weren't for those type of situations and those type of people coming forward, I would have never shared my story. I would have never written a book. I had only shared what had happened to me with my very closest. Um, immediate family, and then Dr. O'Driscoll, who had become like family. He was, you know, he continued to uh, be in my life and come visit. And I, I just thought, gosh, that's that's a beyond bedside manner for this guy to be interested in what happened. But I think it's because he was so open to those things, and he, um, you know, he's he's going to be traveling with me. We'll be speaking together at Ions uh, this year, doing a whole workshop on the patient doctor experience and how that works. So, that's coming up in September in Salt Lake City. Look up Ions as well. Uh, and I want to thank you for coming on the show. It's just been a wonderful interview, and the time has gone by so quick. So, uh, listeners, uh, Jeffrey Olson, 
the author of Knowing. Buy it now. It's a must-read book. Well, I want to thank you again for joining me on Near Death TV. Um, and till next time. Thank you for listening. The Near Death Saga books, Near Death Connection, Throwaway Horses, and Reincarnation Connection can all be found on Amazon. Or you can go to theneardeathsaga.com to read book previews. For more Near Death TV interviews, go to neardeathtv.com. Thank you.